0: I grew up in a family where both my parents believed in God and they raised me to go to church to read the Bible and to believe in Jesus. And I remember at the age of four years old, I was young, I knelt down and I prayed for God to save me from my sins. That was August 4th, 1984. If you fast forward to when I was 19, I had graduated high school, I was working full-time and part-time, so I had two jobs, working 50 to 60 hours per week, and I was making a lot of money. I still went to church, but God wasn't reflected in my daily walk. As we're working through the book of Galatians, we're going to read about those who walk according to the flesh and those who walk according to the spirit. That's Galatians chapter 5. And my life was most representative by the walking by the flesh at this point, not the walking by the spirit. The music I listened to, the language I used, the visuals I allowed into my mind, and even some of the relations I, relationships I had were more about self-gratification rather than bringing honor and glory to God. I had goals for my life. I wanted to make lots of money. I wanted to find somebody to marry. I wanted to buy a nice car, a nice house a boat, the toys that go along with all of those things. I was working hard and in turn I wanted to be successful, wealthy, and I wanted to be fulfilled by all that I owned and all of the things that I had. Then one night it happened. I was working and the shifts that I I worked for my full-time job, it was usually from like 4 to 2 in the morning. They were late shifts. So one, one night I was working, and I don't remember the time of night exactly, but I worked at a distribution center, and my title was a case lot order filler. So I took boxes out of a slot, I labeled them, I slapped, threw them on the conveyor belt, and the conveyor belt took them somewhere, to a truck somewhere, who took the truck to somewhere. I worked for Walmart. So that's where things headed. They headed to these stores. Well, as I was doing that one night... I thought I heard someone call my name, Roger, (laughs) and I remember, like, this was all, like, you had to to put out a certain amount, like, it's all timed, and you have to get so many labels, I remember actually stopping and going, what, well, that's weird, happened again, Roger. Roger. And they begin to think, well, what's going on here? Am I crazy? Am I hearing things? What? Nothing. Happened another time. Well, at that point, I, I had this sense that it wasn't somebody calling my name, but God was about to tell me something. And he brought to my mind, and, and he started making me think about going to college. Well, I had attended a community college for one semester, and I didn't know that I really wanted to go to college. College wasn't necessarily for me. So I said, but God, I tried that. I don't know why I would do that again. And then there were several people who had gone to college people that were a little older than me, but they'd gone to college for ministry. And they brought, he brought to mind those people, those people's faces. I believe this was the moment that God called me into ministry. So I finished my shift that night. I went home. I went to bed. It was late. I was tired. But I got up the next morning thinking, okay, what do I do now? And I always reference this time of my life that it was kind of like Jonah. I had a decision I had to make. And if I was going to make the wrong decision, I should stay away from large bodies of water. (laughs) So I talked to my parents about it. I was still living with my parents at this point. and, And I said, you know, I had this happen to me last night. And they said, well, if you feel like God is calling you in that direction, that's where you should go. So I talked with friends about it. I talked with my youth pastor about it. And they all said pretty much the same thing. If you feel God has called you to go in this direction, that's the direction you should go. It was probably mid-July. I remember it was right around my birthday. My birthday is July 24th. It was right around that time. This is all happening. And I'm thinking, okay, it's probably too, too quick for me to get into a college. But God began throwing doors open. We contacted Cornerstone University and, and pretty soon I had the application filled out, turned in. They said, we can have you a room, you can be enrolled in these classes, let's go. And I look back and I see the money that God, that I had planned for my life for these goals God had provided for me to go to school for that first year. My life was transformed, and the path that God sent me on forever altered my life. That's part of my story. That's my testimony. Uh, This is our second week as we work through our series, Set Free by Grace, as we're studying through the book of Galatians. And last week... We started in chapter 1, verse 1, because when you're studying a book, that's a good place to start, and we began with kind of Paul's introduction of himself, but then Paul just jumps into this book with passion, confidence, and almost this disbelief that the message he'd given to the Galatians, they're no longer holding on to that they're no longer holding to the gospel that he gave them. And I showed you this map last week. You can see kind of the tealist section there in the middle called Galatia. Uh, Paul is probably writing to the churches that we were on his first missionary trip there, Antioch and Pisidia, Iconium, Lystra, and Derbe. Uh, those are found in the book of Acts, and you can read that story there in Acts 13 and 14. But the Galatians were no longer holding to the pure gospel that Paul had preached to them. There were Jewish people... And they're termed Judaizers because they're evangelizing the Jewish faith. They're trying to convert these Christians to become Jews by circumcision, ceremonial uh, cleansing, and just rituals that the Jewish people would uh, uh, uphold, such as like dietary practices, certain things they should eat, certain things they can't eat, those types of things. And so, Paul is writing to encourage them to hold to the gospel that he gave to them at first. We're going to be in chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 10, and we're going to read through verse 24. Again, it's most of the Bibles I, I looked at in the pews there it should be in page 823, um, so if you're Got a copy of God's Word, a digital version. You pop open your phone, that's great too. But I encourage you to open uh, God's Word and read it with us this morning. Galatians 1, starting in verse 10. For am I now, this is Paul talking, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles... I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie." Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. Paul is writing to the Galatians church, and he's giving them his testimony, a portion of his testimony. And Paul gives us a couple outcomes of the gospel in these verses. So what are a couple of the outcomes of the gospel? Well, the first outcome is that the gospel is not designed to please man. The gospel's not designed to please man, and Paul talks about that. The gospel is not something that is thought up by man, and it's not something that pleases man. In light of the Bible... In light of the gospel message, we learn something important about ourselves. We are wicked and we are sinners. The gospel and the Bible declare that to us. And so naturally, in our wicked state, the gospel is not designed to please us. Because who is the gospel designed to please the gospel is designed for us to please God. We're called to bring glory to God. The problem is, we don't like seeing ourselves in this state of wickedness and needing any help or feeling like we need someone to save us out of that state. Uh, the, the message that people are sinners in need of saving is not a very popular message because like me, I want it to be viewed as successful. I want it to be viewed by the world standards of look at what he's doing. Look at far, how far he has come. So, The gospel message that Jesus came to save those who are sinners doesn't please man. Because the gospel points us to serve Christ. Paul says at the end of verse 10, if I were still trying to please man... I would not be a servant of Christ. So part of the way we please God is we serve him. As we read through some of Paul's story here of who Paul was before Jesus Christ impacted his life, you know that Paul's transition to becoming a servant of Christ has not won him any popularity with his friends, the friends he had in his Jewish circles. Paul has faced harsh persecution at this point. Why? Because we read in Acts chapter 14... In Lystra, they take Paul out of the city and they stone him, leaving him for dead. So in this area of Galatia, Paul faced intense persecution by Jewish people. So the gospel points us to serve Christ. The gospel also does not originate from man. Paul tells of how the gospel, he learned of the gospel, that it didn't come from hearing it from other apostles. Paul was on the road to Damascus. You can read this in Acts chapter 9. Paul was on the road to Damascus, and all of a sudden he saw a bright light. All of a sudden he heard the voice. And he cried out, Who are you, Lord? And Jesus says, it is Jesus whom you are persecuting. And that was Paul's defining moment. His revelation of the gospel didn't come through reading a book. His revelation of the gospel didn't come from hearing it on the TV or the radio. He didn't open the newspaper and go, oh look, it's the gospel message. He didn't have it passed down from grandparents or parents or Sunday school teachers. He didn't get attracted to his favorite restaurant. None of those things happened for Paul. You see, it brings us to our next point. The gospel is revealed through Jesus Christ. Even Jesus' apostles received the gospel directly from Jesus. He told it to them. Before his death. And they didn't get it. Then he was resurrected. And he gave them the spirit. And the spirit revealed to them. And reminded them of all of the things that Jesus had told them. What the gospel was. The apostles were witnesses to his death, burial, and resurrection, and they were trained by Jesus. He had discipled them for three years before his crucifixion. Now, we don't know if Paul ever crossed paths with Jesus before he was killed. We don't know that, but it's possible But it wasn't until that experience on the road to Damascus that Paul's life was altered forever. Which brings us to the next point. The outcome of the gospel is the gospel transforms lives. There's a story that we are given because of the gospel. It's not just Jesus' story. It's the gospel that is impacting our lives, the gospel becomes my story. The gospel becomes your story. There's a before, during, and after of the impact of the gospel in our lives. The first part of it is the before. Paul declares he was living in sinfulness. He was living in sinfulness. But, Paul, you were living the good life. Paul had had the training. His career was soaring. Verse 14, and I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my father. Paul was outpacing all of his peers. Paul was in the advanced class. Paul was on his way to becoming one of the most renowned rabbis of his day. But that wasn't God's plan for him. Paul often had to share his story of God's transformation in his life And we see that throughout the scriptures. In the book of Acts, he shares it several times. In 1 Corinthians 15, 9, he shares his story. Philippians 3, 6, he shares part of his story. 1 Timothy 1, 13, he shares his story. In Galatians 1, here, he shares his story. Because people didn't believe that this persecutor was now the same guy who was the preacher. And that's the title that people would talk about him. Verse 23, they only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. He's the persecutor turned preacher. How deep was Paul's sinfulness... Acts 8.3 gives us a picture of that. But Saul, later changed his name to Paul, but Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. That was Saul. He was going house to house. Are there any Christians in here? All right, come with me. And early Christians did not deny their faith. Are there any Christians in here? He was going house to house. He was zealous for what he believed was the truth. And Luke writes in the book of Acts that Saul, Paul was ravaging the church. Because of that, the church began to flee Paul began to get letters to go into other other areas to persecute these Christians. And so he had a letter. He was holding a letter in his hand as he's on the road to Damascus and Jesus appears to him. He was on the road to persecute the Christians in Damascus. Are there any Christians in here? But God intervened. Tim Keller has this comment. The Old Testament knowledge, the zeal, the training, the effort he was using to oppose God and his church, all were being used by God to break him and to equip him to be God's instrument for building his church. All of the pieces of his training, God was using to prepare him for his mission in life. Even in his most sinful state, that he was opposing God's true plan, Paul was being prepared for how God wanted to use him. So there's the before, living in sinfulness, but then there's the during, that there's this encounter with Jesus. It's the but God moment. Verse 15. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace. Verse 16. Was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. says I did not immediately consult with anyone. But God intervened in my life caused me to step away from the path of sinfulness that I was living walking in the flesh and he gave me a new destination and a new path walking by the Spirit in verse 17 Paul mentions that he didn't go to Jerusalem, but he went to Arabia. You can see on the map here, on the left upper corner, Jerusalem, Gaza, Damascus. Paul was heading towards Damascus from Jerusalem. Jesus appeared to him, and he went somewhere into Arabia, this area here. And many believe it was probably down by the Red Sea here, the Nabataean kingdom uh, that Paul wandered into. And he says he remained there for three years. Verse 18 tells us that, that. So what happened to Paul during those three years? Well, it's probably a lot like Moses who led sheep around the desert for 40 years or Jesus who went out into the desert for 40 days of fasting. There was a preparation time that happened to Paul during those three years. Many believe that Jesus appeared to Paul more times while he was in Arabia because of what his testimony says in Acts 26. Paul rehashes his testimony in Acts 26, and he says, Jesus said, but rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you, Paul, as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me, and to those in which I will appear to you. And so there's some indication here that maybe Jesus appeared to Paul, for those, during those three years, and gave him more training, explained to him the scriptures in light of his death, burial, and resurrection. We don't know that, but there's just some indication there that that's what happened while Paul was in Arabia. He was receiving more training. But he didn't receive it from men. He received it directly from Jesus Christ. So the gospel transforms lives. There's a before, there's a during that leads to the after. Paul's life is forever altered and changed. The once known fervent persecutor is now the fervent preacher of the gospel of which he persecuted. It's a lot like my life, that my life was headed toward down a path of destruction, but was transformed into a path of honoring God. An encounter with Jesus Christ will change a life forever. Tim Keller says this, the gospel gives us a pair of spectacles through which we can review our own lives and see God preparing us and shaping us even through our own failures and sins to become vessels of his grace in the, in the world. God is working in your circumstances. God is working in your lives to prepare you And forever change your life. I have a short video I I came across this week. It's uh, from Child Evangelism Fellowship. Some of you are familiar with that organization, CEF. They work with kids in schools and bring the gospel into the classroom, actually. Um, And this is a story of a transformation of a little boy who is in one of those classes. So I want you to watch this and hear about the the transformation. Mm -hmm.
1: there was a particular boy. He was always sitting at the back, never ever paid attention. Uh, he was always in and out of his seat and he'd usually have a ruler or a pencil or something. He'd be banging things, um, pulling out tissues. The teacher would sit in the back of the room. She obviously had no control over him. It wasn't until one day that I gathered up all the scripture books. The question was, if Jesus asked you to follow him, what would you say or do? The answer in this boy's book actually said, I would hit him over the head with a hammer. Now, the front of his book was violently scratched. It looked like with a knife. And I thought for a boy so young to be so violent, either something terrible was happening to him or he was exposed to something visually that was very, very violent. So I'm seeing the boy with all his anger and violence before he gets to the stage where he can do harm. And I was seeing the man in the future, not just the boy now. I went right up to his desk, face to face, while the other kids were doing some work. I said to him, I've seen what you've written in your book. Do you want to talk to me about something? No, he says, not looking at me. I said, is everything all right? Yep, not looking at me. So I said, I just want you to know one thing. I'm not paid to be here like the other teachers. I'm a scripture teacher. I'm only here because I love you. Because Jesus loved you. He died for you. And your life doesn't have to be like this. That's all I said, just like this. Because I knew he would know what that meant. The very next week, His scripture book was open and eye contact. That in itself was a miracle. We were doing a Christmas lesson and I wrote on the board the word Christmas coming down and I said, use these letters, Christmas, and write what Christmas means to you. I walked around commenting on the kid's work and he put his hand up, went over to his work and I lifted it up. This is what it said, Christ has returned in spirit to me and saved me. Now I'm an adult and I can't come up with that. That was absolutely God-inspired. The teacher was behind the blackboard. I knew she was talking to someone else. So I went and I said, sorry to interrupt you, I just want to show you this boy's work, it's so amazing. She said, wow, and then she said, this is his mother. The sovereignty of God, he knows how to position his chest pieces. The mother then said to me with her own lips, very alcoholic, you know, teeth missing, yellow, and she goes, what's gotten into him. He's gotten all religious all of a sudden. And from his own mother's lips, I found out that the Lord had changed his life.
0: Some of you teachers might have that student in your class, bouncing off the walls, no idea what to do with him. Look at what God did in his life. God took a life that teachers saw were aimed in a path of darkness. And the Bible tells us brought him into the light. So what outcomes has the gospel had in your life? What's your story? It's telling others your personal story of the gospel. It's work in our lives that can allow people to see it and understand that it's not just about having the right knowledge, it's not just about learning facts of the Bible but it's about the fact that the Bible can transform our lives. Todd Wilson, in one of my commentaries, said this, Paul knows his transformed life is the most compelling case he can make for the truth of the gospel. Nothing brings the power of the gospel closer to others so they can see it and indeed touch it, our life. Changed by the gospel is the best argument for the truth of the gospel. We are our best argument. In other words, our testimonies, our stories, our before, during, and afters are the best defense of the gospel. They can't be refuted because it's my story. You could come to me afterwards and you could say, Roger, that didn't ever happen to you. That story you told, that wasn't true. But I would say, no, I I remember my story. I remember the events that surrounded that story. I was there for my story. You were there for your story. What's your story of how God... has forever transformed your life. And another way to ask what I'm saying this morning is what testimony do you have that you can share with others? Take time this week to write down. Maybe it's just a little portion of your story. The before, the during, the after. I shared with you just a portion of my story. It was... Not my whole story. There are lots of pieces I didn't tell you. But think about what is a a story that God has given you, a way that he has impacted your life. And then pray to God, how can I share this, this this week? When will I have a two to three minute opportunity to share a piece of my story and how God transformed my life? And then pray, who, who, God, will you put in front of me to share this, this piece of the gospel, piece of my story, that will shine the light in someone else's lives? Would you pray with me this morning? Father, we're so thankful, we're so grateful for the gospel. The gospel that you were buried, died, and resurrected. The gospel that you shed drops of blood for me. The gospel that you took on sin in my place. The gospel that you rose again, leaving sin, conquering death, and being resurrected to a place of authority to rule. And we're all offered a choice, that transforming moment of will I accept the truth of the gospel or will I reject the truth of the gospel? God, many of us in here have made that choice and the gospel has transformed our lives. It has transformed our hearts. Some Christians in here have the story of I was saved at a young age and I never became a drug dealer. I never became... Whatever it was that that path of destruction was leading towards because you stepped in. Because they accepted and believed in what Jesus had done for them. And their life was forever transformed. God, help us to remember those stories. Help us to recall those stories. And God, Help us to communicate those stories. God, put people in our lives, even this week, that we can tell of your transforming power in our lives. That we can be witnesses of what you have done. and That we can serve you with it and give you all of the glory and honor and praise for the way you have done transformed our lives. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.